Good morning. Hope you're doing well. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We have been going through the book of Colossians now for a little while. And so um, we are continuing. We're going by a little slower than normal. Some, some texts we go through fast. Some texts we go through slower. Uh, and we decided to go through Colossians a little slower. So um, we are in Colossians chapter 1 today, starting at verse 24. Starting at verse 24. So you can open up to Colossians chapter 1, 24. Um, we're going to finish chapter 1 today. Uh, and then we'll be able to go into next week. Um, as, you're, uh, as you're opening up to Colossians 1, I just want to remind you, I say this um, about every month, but I just want to reiterate it again. Uh, at Remedy, we come to church and as we come into the service, we want to always remember as we come to church four things. Um, the four E's is the way we say it. Um, that we're eager, expectant, early, and every Sunday. Eager in that you can't wait to hear from the Lord and you can't wait to see your church family. Expectant, you really are coming thinking the Lord's going to do something today. He's going to teach you something. He's going to show you something in His Word. Um, eager, expectant, early. Of course, you come early every Sunday. You don't come to the 945. You come to the 930. That's just a joke. But, um, you know, you come early. And, of course, every Sunday. You do everything you can to be in church every single Sunday because um, this is the way the Lord has ordained that it would be, is that the way that you grow is by, you know, being here every week, not, not every other week or, or anything like that. So, um, anyway, eager, expectant, early every Sunday. I try to say it at least once a month so that it's ingrained in your head. Um, uh, and then you come tell me it one day. I'm supposed to be there, e -E, four E's, and then I'm like, oh, yes, it's working. So, all right, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Uh, if you would, stand with me while we read. Uh, I'm going to read the text that we're going to study. Um, and then after I read it, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll say, Thanks be to God. And of course, you're just thanking the Lord that he has been so kind to give us his word. He certainly didn't have to do that, and he did. He gave us his word, and you're thanking the Lord for that. As well as, when you say, thanks be to God, let it be for you where you're saying, okay, God, the things that I hear today from you, and they're, when they're clearly from you, help me say yes, help me obey. So starting in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory uh, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning and and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You have a seat. Let's pray. Lord, I, uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've given it to us. And we pray, God, as we look at it this morning, that you would, um, you would help us see and understand what it is that you want us to um, know from it. God, help me please speak and communicate your word effectively and truthfully. Um, and of course, Lord, uh, we pray that above all that we'll see Christ as beautiful in the text, that we'll um, see and understand and know the gospel better, and that our hearts would be, um, our hearts would be set aflame for you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, just as a reminder, if you haven't been here, the book of Colossians was written by a guy named Paul, uh, and uh, about a couple, couple thousand years ago, um, Paul wrote a series of different letters throughout this New Testament, um, and as he wrote them, he would write to these particular cities and try to give them advice on, after he had planted a church or after someone else had planted a church, uh, generally as a church gets started, issues would come up, doctrinal issues, issues of just questions about theology, etc., and Paul would write letters to them trying to help them understand, and those, sometimes those letters would be circulated around to the different cities, and eventually the letters of, that, that are collected together from Romans to Philemon in the Bible, in the New Testament, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, down to Philemon, those are Paul's, and those are in the Bible now as not just something that Paul wrote, but something that 
Paul wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they're not just Paul's words, but they're God's words. And so that's what we're looking at today. And by the way, this is just for fun, but Romans to Philemon, there's Paul's letters. They're not they're organized in an order of what's the biggest to the smallest. That's it. That's why they're put in the order. They're not in chronological order or anything. The longest to the shortest. Anyway, back to the letter. So usually Paul would go like Corinthians or Romans or Philippians, Philippi. These are the different cities that Paul would go. He would start a church. He would spend some time there. He would find people that could be the pastors. He'd place them there and then he would go somewhere else and then they would you know a letter would come to him this is what happened in this particular church well this church is not like that this church is uh the, to to the city of Colossae Epaphroditus planted this church likely Epaphroditus got saved under Paul or Epaphras not Epaphroditus Epaphras got uh, planted this church and so he heard the gospel likely through Paul's preaching and went back to his hometown a tiny little town called uh, Colossae and preached the gospel there and then they organized themselves into a church and then he came and told Paul hey there's some things going on in this particular city that I'm from where they don't understand exactly the gospel they don't understand exactly some things about God uh, and they have these things wrong could you write a letter and I could take it back to them and I could tell them about about what's going on and so Paul said okay he wrote the letter and anyway that's what we have here and he's addressing some small things that they had Um, uh, and they are small in that they're pretty easy to understand for us but big when it comes to how they misunderstood the gospel and so um, we've talked about these some last week and it doesn't necessarily apply into what we're looking at but one of the main things was this Colossian heresy which is um, yes Jesus is necessary for salvation, but he's not fully sufficient. So you need to trust in Christ, but you also, and if you look at chapter 2, verse 9, you also need to do some other things. And if you do these other things along with that, then God's really, really going to be pleased with you. And he's, when he sees just how devoted you are, then he's going to think, oh, you're awesome. You really do love me. And you can see, not Colossians 2, 9, I'm sorry. Um, but if you go into chapter 2, uh, he talks about, some of the things that people need to, to do in order to have a relationship with him. Uh, so if you go to chapter 2, verse 11, in him you're also circumcised, a circumcision without hands, but putting on body of flesh, buried in baptism, you were raised, and uh, powerfully work in him who raised him from the dead. And you who are dead in your tras- trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh um, have been made together, canceling all these things. Uh, and then if you, go, if you keep going, he's explaining the gospel. And then once you get into... Verse uh, 19, 18, he said, Don't let people disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason, without a sensuous mind, etc. So he's saying, um, People are telling you in order to really have a relationship with God, you need to trust in Christ, but also practice something like asceticism. Asceticism is just the denial of things earthly. I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to. Let things make me happy that, that are here on earth because all material things that are created, this is the Colossian heresy, if something's made, it's bad. And so if I abstain from it and I don't use it, then God sees I'm, I'm abstaining from bad stuff. Therefore, I really love God and God's really happy with me. So that's why they would insist on things like uh, not, not eating or um, going on in details about visions or worshiping angels, etc. And so the gospel is, is it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. You also need to do these other things. It's, it's very much like the controversy in, in the book of Galatians, but um, a little different. So anyway, whenever we're back over here in chapter 1, verse 24, Paul's, as he just finished talking about what redemption looks like. He's, he's shifting a little bit uh, his focus, and that's what we're going to look at today, is he's shifting the focus on to what's happening in his life and what suffering looks like in his life. So if you look at verse 24, it says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Now, remember I said Epaphras uh, planted the church, and he knew there were some problems, so he had to go to Paul and say, Paul, there's some problems. So he went to Paul, and when he went to Paul, Paul was in jail, suffering, put, put in jail wrongly for the gospel and so he's helping them understand listen I'm, I'm even put in jail right now suffering for the sake of the gospel and people have put me in jail incorrectly and I'm suffering for Christ but the fact that I'm suffering for Christ right now doesn't make me upset it doesn't make me mad instead you can see now I rejoice in my sufferings and so we're going to look at what it means to be a minister of the gospel but also 
uh, as your minister of the gospel, experiencing suffering for Christ. Now, when I say suffering for Christ, I want to be make, make, make sure I'm, I'm clear, because there's lots of different kinds of sufferings in the world. Uh, and so we're talking about explicitly sufferings for Christ whenever you're doing the work of ministry. There's, there's sufferings that people have uh, if you know, they have cancer or they have a tragedy happen in their life. And these things you can still do for Christ. Like in the midst of this suffering that's happening to me, this tragedy that's befalled me that I don't like, I want to do it in such a way that glorifies Christ. And that's good. And you should do that. Um, what we're talking about here in this text, the, the kind of pinpoint suffering that Paul's talking about is while I'm in ministry and I'm doing things for Christ and I'm trying to proclaim the gospel and I'm trying to see people uh, come to know Christ, people don't like that and so I'm experiencing suffering. Now, you may say, well, that's good for me that I'm not in the ministry. So uh, everybody that's in ministry needs to listen, not me. Well, remember, uh, that's true. There's a sense of full-time ministry, but every one of us, if you're a believer in Christ, are still ministers of the gospel. We're ambassadors for Christ. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, I'll read it to you just so you can remember. We, when we went through 2 Corinthians a little while ago, we talked about this. But every one of us have been given what's called the ministry of reconciliation. So if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's go to verse 18. Uh, he just talked about the fact that we're Christians now. And now that we're Christians, verse 18, everything that's happened to you, all this is from God. Through, uh, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So he's called us to, to trust in him. And when he's called us to trust in him, and now we're his children, it says, and he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, Christ God reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So basically he's saying, here, you are going to join me with, with I'm giving you something called the ministry of reconciliation, where you go out and you tell people about Christ, and now they can be reconciled to to God just like you were. And so every Christian is really, in a sense, a minister. And this minister, this minister of reconciliation, this word minister, can just be understood as servant, a servant of people, a servant that goes out and proclaims. And of course we know that we close every service with the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, where he tells all of his followers to go make disciples. And so uh, when Paul's talking about suffering in ministry... Uh, he's not just talking about those guys that are in full-time ministry like Paul. He's talking about all of us. And so it applies to every person in this room what we're going to see. If you want to tell people about Jesus, if you want to obey God and go and start doing uh, the ministry of reconciliation, hopefully you do, uh, you likely are going to experience some level of suffering. And Paul's going to address in this particular text, 24 through 29 that we're looking at today, five truths about suffering. So whenever I'm doing that, whenever I'm obeying God to go tell people about Christ, what's going to happen? Well, there's five things that we're going to see here, five different truths that are going to help us have the right understanding about what it means when suffering comes to us, what kind of mindset am I supposed to have? Should it even happen to me? Um, And if it is, what's going on? So that's what we're looking at today. Now, Remember, Paul's talked about the fact that he is a minister of the gospel. When we looked at that last week... uh, at the very end, he says, The hope of the gospel, which I proclaimed in all the cre- under creation, of which I, Paul, have become a minister. And so he talks about the reconciliation that's happened to him. And because he's been reconciled, he's a minister now. And so since he knows that he's a minister of the gospel, and then it goes into verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. As a minister of the gospel, which, remember, that's all of us. If we're in Christ, every one of us are ministers of the gospel. Um, Now, I rejoice in my sufferings. So that brings me to what the the thing is I want us to see first is this. Suffering in ministry, number one, we are to rejoice when we suffer. I know that that's counterintuitive. Like, whenever things happen to me that I don't like, generally I don't say yay. Generally I say I don't like this. And that's normal, right? That's the normal experience that we have. Um, But Paul says, I rejoice... In my sufferings. Remember, this is Paul talking, but this is ultimately God's word. And so God's telling us what is it that we need to know in the middle of um, ministering to others? We are to, when we're suffering, is that we are to rejoice. Why? Why is it that He wants us to rejoice? What does it mean, rejoice? Why does it mean that we can rejoice when we're obeying? The Great Commission, when we're obeying this call from 2 Corinthians 5 to be ministers of reconciliation. Um, why is it that Paul does it 
uh, at the cost of suffering, and it causes him to rejoice. Well, if you remember, just as an example, um, when the early church first got started, right after Christ uh, ascended into heaven and the early church was getting started in Acts chapter 5, this is um, right whenever they were going out and they were t- starting to tell people about Christ and they were brand new at this. They had no clue what it was really meant to, to um, be the church. Uh, whenever they were doing that, uh, people found out in the city and they beat them up and they told them not to do it anymore and they sent them on their way. And in Acts chapter 5 it says, when they, when they left, after they got, they got beat up, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. So it, it's not unprecedented. It's totally normal. The right mindset is I, when I'm obeying Christ and I'm telling people about Jesus and people don't like it, and even if suffering comes to me, then I rejoice. Suffering shows to people as you're... Obeying Jesus to tell people about Christ. Suffering tells people, I am, I'm certainly committed to Christ. And I'm also showing you how much I care about you to come to you at the cost of suffering that might happen to me. That's how much I care about you. So Paul can rejoice because there's a lot of good things happening. Um, I'm going to tell you some more things. But first I want to read you a tiny little, this is a short little story um, that helps us understand that people can know whenever we come to them uh, what it's like uh, to see that they know that we care. This is from the old school Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. Uh, he says this, uh, When I was working on this book, I had an opportunity to hear a guy named J. Oswald Sanders speak. His message touched deeply on suffering. J. Oswald Sanders, this is awesome. This is just not about suffering, but he just sticks this in here, and I'm just reading it because it's awesome. J. Oswald Sanders was 89 years old, And he had written a book a year since he turned 70. He had never written a book before in his life. When he turned 70, he started writing a book a year at 70. Just to remind you, um, when you turn 70, the Lord can definitely do tons of things. This man wrote 19 books and started being a writer at at, at, at at age 70. The Lord is going to use you till the very end. So this is what he says. Since he turned 70, I mentioned that only to exult in the utter dedication of a life poured out for the gospel and and against the thought of coasting and self-indulgence from age 65 to the grave. That's what Piper says. When you turn 65, don't just coast, right? When you turn 65, the Lord has freed you up to start doing amazing things in life for him. Stay in good shape till you're 65. He told, back back to the point, right? This is what he said. He told the story of an indigenous missionary. Indigenous just means like, uh, when you go to a place where there's nobody that's Christians and you tell them about Christ and then they become a Christian, now they know those people, they, they know the culture, and you'd say, go tell people about Jesus, and you leave, and they're the missionary now. Indigenous just means they grew up there and they understand the culture. All right, so he told the story of an indigenous missionary who walked barefoot from village to village and preached the gospel in India. Um, after a long day of many miles and much discouragement, he came to a certain village and tried to speak the gospel, but was spurned. You know, they, they, they told him, get out of here. We don't want to listen to what you're saying. So he went to the edge of the village, dejected, and he laid down under a tree from exhaustion. And when he had woke, the whole town was gathered around him to listen to what he had to say. And the manager of the village explained to him, as they came over to him while he was sleeping, they said, When we saw your blistered feet, we concluded that you must be a holy man and that there had been, it was evil to deject you. And we're sorry that we did this. When we saw your blistered feet, we knew how much you cared. And we wanted to hear the message that you were willing to suffer so much to come and bring to us. So when you suffer, it's not for nothing. It really is for something. And people know how much you really care about them and how much you care about Christ. So when Paul writes, I rejoice in my suffering, that's something that we can do as well. We can suffer for Christ well uh, because we know that people are going to um, see that and understand how much we care and the Lord can use it. The Lord used it in the life of this particular missionary. So uh, one, one commentator gives us five reasons to rejoice when we suffer. He says, suffering brings us closer to God. If you've suffered, you know that. Suffering brings us closer to God so we can rejoice. Suffering assures us that we belong to Christ. If you're, if you're suffering for Christ, you can know that you are his. That should cause you to rejoice. Suffering will one day bring us future rewards. We know that. The more we do for Christ, we know that there's some kind of 
There's some kind of crowns. We just throw them back at Jesus' feet anyway, but nevertheless, that sounds awesome. Suffering can cause, and that should cause you to rejoice. Suffering can cause people to come to know Christ, like the story we just read. People can understand the gospel as we come to them and want to hear what we have to say. And this is the best one. Suffering frustrates Satan, which is just to make us so, so happy, right? He wants to harm us. And whenever he tries to harm us, God ultimately always brings good through any kind of suffering. And it just frustrates him to no end because he's not smarter than God, right? And so that can make us happy too, that Satan's always getting outwitted. And so uh, the first thing that we see in regard to suffering, and this may be some of the most foundational things when we're suffering, um, is we are to rejoice whenever we're suffering. And, And he says in verse 24, And now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And then he says this. This is interesting language, right? And I fill up, and I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Think about that theologically, right? Christ's afflictions. So we know Christ died on the cross. Christ died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice on the cross. And Paul says, there's some kind of lacking to Christ's afflictions. And I am coming alongside, and I'm filling up what's lacking to Christ's affliction. So you got to be careful there. There's all kinds of theological heresy that you can walk into about when you're saying Christ's cross wasn't sufficient, etc., etc. So what's this language that he's using? So go ahead and put up number two for us. All right. We're, we are to suffer filling up what's lacking uh, in Christ's afflictions for the gospel to be proclaimed. Now, I'm going to explain what this means. I'm going to explain what this means. So lacking, lacking. What is lacking when we're talking about Christ's afflictions. Um, What's lacking is this. Um, The personal presentation of suffering of Christ uh, instead of Jesus being here. You know, after Jesus died, he he was around here for 40 days. He he showed up to many people. He showed that he he was resurrected and then he ascended. Uh, But the, the afflictions of Christ aren't able to be personally presented before unbelievers today. You can't walk up uh, and let people see the actual sufferings of Christ. They're not able to do it. And so whenever we as the church go and do things for Christ and we experience suffering, we're filling up what's lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions in that we are the ones who are the personal presentation, in a sense, of the sufferings of Christ to them because we're physically alive on earth right now and Jesus is not. And so... It's not that Jesus' cross was not sufficient and so we got we to gotta suffer too to make his afflictions even better so that now the death on the cross really, really justifies you, really, really saves you. That's not what's going on at all. Um, instead, we're sharing in his sufferings. And as we share in his sufferings, people are seeing, um, in a sense, the sufferings of Christ because we're a part of the church. We're a part of Christ's bride. So that's why Paul in Philippians 3 says that I may know him, the power of his resurrections, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So we share in his sufferings, but we're not, we're not somehow saying that um, our sufferings are also saving us or adding to the cross in a way that now people can get saved. And we're also not saying that we need to suffer so that we can go back to the cross and really feel some kind of mystical experience with Jesus to know how he suffered as we suffer so now we can know him. It's none of that kind of stuff. It's extending the afflictions of Christ forward as we suffer and sharing it as the church body in front of an unbelieving world so that they can have a better understanding of Christ. We're filling up what's lacking and that's the personal presentation of him. Piper, uh, in, in the Let the Nations Be Glad, says this, Christ's afflictions are not lacking in their atoning sufficiency. That means the death on the cross is not lacking. The atonement is, is sufficient. It, it's not lacking. Um, they are lacking in that they are not known and felt by people who are not at the cross, namely us. We didn't live 2,000 years ago. Um, Paul dedicates himself not only to carry the message of suffering to the nations, but also to suffer with Christ and for Christ in such a way that what people see are, when we suffer, they don't say, oh, look at Fudd's suffering. They literally see, in a sense, Christ's sufferings. In this way, he follows the pattern of Christ by laying down his life for the life of the church. And that's why he says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. 
I, I endure all these sufferings for the sake of the church. And those that are unbelievers, if they come to know Christ, they're part of the church. And so we're doing it so that will happen. So uh, Paul writes to Timothy at the very end of his life regarding suffering. He says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of the David, as I preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Uh, he was put in jail for preaching the gospel. But the word of God's not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul's saying that he's suffering here so that people will come to know Christ. And as I suffer, they see me suffer and have a better understanding of Christ's sufferings. Not in a way that saves them, but in a way or that adds to the cross, but in a way that they see and understand what Christ has done. And hopefully the gospel's proclaimed and they'll understand it. So when we suffer, we are literally, in a sense, putting on display the sufferings of Christ. So now I rejoice in my suffering. So that's the two truths so far. Rejoice and realize that there's huge things going on, like big picture stuff going on if you're suffering for Christ in front of people because you're putting on display what's lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Um, for the sake of his body, that is the church. You're doing it for the sake of his body, that is the church. And then he, in verse 25, he's going to say almost the same thing he does there at the end of verse 23, of which I, Paul, became a minister, of which I became a minister. And then he says this, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Now, if you don't know much about how Paul became a Christian, right, uh, in the book of Acts chapter 9, Paul was, he, he hated Christians. He absolutely hated them. And he wanted to go kill as many as he could. And he was walking down the Damascus Road and going to, to a city to kill some more. And as he's going there, of course, Christ literally showed up from the sky as a blinding light and, and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Like, why are you persecuting Christ, why are you doing this? And he's like, who are you, Lord? Now that Lord at Curios can just be sir. Like, I, who are you, sir? It, but it also could be, who are you, Lord of all creation? So it's ambiguous, but I think it's the, the latter. I think it's the second one. But the point is, Paul becomes a Christian in that moment, right? And then in that, if you read that little text, Paul, Jesus says, I will show Paul how much he must suffer for my name. And so Paul, in that moment, it's locked in. He is going to live a life of suffering for, for Christ. It's, Jesus has, has stated it. It's for sure. This is what's going to happen. And so Paul's in this, in this text kind of referencing that thing that's happening where he knows he's going to live a life of suffering of which I became a minister. And then he says, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me. Like God has stewarded me, has given me um, this gift that I have to steward well, namely I live a life of suffering, and I want to steward it well. So that brings us to the third, right? The gift of suffering from God is to be stewarded well. Now, you're saying, okay, that's Paul's story. <laughs> that's not supposed to be my story. I didn't get blinded on the road to Damascus, and he said, I will show him surely how much he will suffer for my name. And I, I agree to you that that's not what he said to you personally in Acts chapter 9. But he did say this in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, do you know the rest? Will be persecuted. So, I want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. I think every Christian wants that. And he said, indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so it's the same for us. It's the same for us. As we walk through this world, living for Christ... The enemy hates us. That's okay. We don't want them to hate us. We want them to come to know Christ. We want to love them. But it's going to happen. It's inevitable. And so we can wonder, why does this happen? Uh, it doesn't seem like this is very good or that I enjoy this. As a matter of fact, um, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, chapter 1, verse 29, where he's talking about how we've been given the gift of faith, he says this, For it has been granted to you for Christ's sake that you will believe. Like, that's awesome. God has granted to me the ability to, to have faith and understand who he is. But then right after that, he says, not only has it been granted to you that you get to believe, which sounds awesome, but it's also been granted, same word kind of like gifted, it's also been gifted not only to believe, but also that you should suffer for his sake. The gift of faith and the gift of suffering, both given to you. We love the first one. Salvation, heaven, that sounds great. Forgiveness of sin, and you also get the gift of suffering. 
which means um, we, like Paul, have been given the gift of suffering from God, and it should be stewarded well. We've already talked about num- point number one, we're to rejoice, but we're also to look at it as stewardship. This word stewardship is, is a compound word, a compound Greek word, um, oikonomia. It's the word like house, oiko, nemo, or nemoia, um, manage. So like the manager of a house. So back in the first century, uh, if, if you were just loaded, like you just had tons of money, then you would hire people, an, an, an oikonomia, and they would come over here, and their job was to watch over all your possessions. They, the oikonomia didn't own anything. Their job was to watch over and steward the possessions. And that's what he's saying. You've been given an oikonomia. You've been given a stewardship. This isn't yours. It's God's. But you're to come in and oversee God's possessions. And one of those possessions, by the way, namely, is you. We're his possession now that we're in Christ. And so we're to oikonomia, steward this possession, namely the life he's given us, not because it's ours, but because it's his for the master. And so this gift of stewardship or this, this idea of stewardship means that we've been given an amazing privilege to oversee God's stuff, namely us, and that all of the things that we get to do in proclaiming the gospel, that we steward it. So even suffering, the gift of suffering, is something that we steward well for his glory. So whenever you, whenever you suffer... Yes, you rejoice, but you also think of it as a stewardship issue. Like, I want to I steward the suffering that's coming to me well. I can just get super mad and yell at everybody and get, like, yell at God and ask why all this is happening and think that this is terrible. Or um, I can see this as a gift from God that I can steward well and that I can pray, Lord, I don't know why this has happened, but I know that you've promised it to happen. And so, Lord, help me walk through this suffering and not just rejoice, but walk through it well so that other people see that I love you and that I want them to come to know you and see it as an actual stewardship issue. Um, In the same way that God gives us money and he wants us to oversee money that we have for his glory, he gives us suffering and he wants us to steward it well and never let suffering go to waste but instead have suffer when suffering happens to us we don't we don't seek it out like we're not crazy right but as it comes to us we say i want to steward this well and i want to i want to see christ be glorified through this so that whenever they see me suffering well and rejoicing in my salvation perhaps they'll come to know christ so the first couple truths three truths we've seen is first if suffering comes we rejoice second we, we know that when it happens, that we're literally putting on display the sufferings of Christ because he's not here on earth doing it, but also we steward it well. The next thing that we see is this, all right? So whenever it's happening to us, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me, and then he says this, um, to make the word of God fully known. To make the word of God, I'm going to take that little phrase, to make the word of God fully known, Uh, And then he's going to explain that a little bit. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory. The mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then in verse 28, he says, him we proclaim. So I'm going to take the him we proclaim. I'm going to take the to make the word of God fully known. And so we see a a little bit of a theme there, right? And suffering comes, we're going to talk about the gospel in 27 and 28. There's a lot of good gospel stuff there. Uh, but what we can see, though, that Paul is kind of creating a theme, a bookend, of when he says, to make the word of God fully known, him we proclaim, warning and teaching. And we can see, okay, there's a little bit of a bookend on both sides of this good gospel-ish, gospeliciousness in verses 27 and 28. And what is that? It's this. Suffering gives us an opportunity to make the word of God fully known and proclaim him. Suffering provides this platform for us that whenever we're wanting to tell people about Christ and something happens to us and somebody's like, why is it that you seem to not be shaken by this, but you still like love God in the middle of this? Or you have an amazing attitude. You, if, I, if I were doing that, I would be, you know, fill in the blank and how mad they would be. But you're having this amazing mindset. What's going on? And that's the opportunity for us to be able to Make the word of God fully known and proclaim him.
Meaning this, suffering is not an end. Suffering is a means to an end. Suffering's not an end. It's not the end. Now I've suffered. No. Suffering is a means to an end. Paul tells us the end, and the end is to make the word of God fully known or to proclaim him. So when you suffer, you have an opportunity to make the word of God fully known to him. What, is this, what does this mean? Paul tells us in Acts chapter 20, 24, that's his goal. Like that's his life goal. Life verse, Acts 20, 24, where he says, I don't account of my life of any value or precious to myself, only if I can finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I want, to, I want to make him known. That's all I care about is telling people about Jesus. And so making, making him known means to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the word of Christ, to proclaim the good news of which he tells us in here. He ta- he's going to use it with mystery language, but let's just, let's just see everything that we can here. This is some amazing. There's lots of mysteries that, that this word mystery that's used, there's lots of mysteries that are being uh, shown to us in the New Testament that were mysteries in the Old. Um, so mysteries are not, in, in the New Testament, when you read this word mystery, mysteries are not discoveries that we make with our own intellect. That's not what Paul means in the New Testament when he writes mystery, and then like, I can solve it, you know, like, like a detective. That's not it. Uh, a mystery language in the New Testament is not something solved by human intellect. Instead, mystery in the New Testament is when God reveals his will to us. It's an act of God totally where now we know his purposes. And it's only if he chooses to reveal. So there's lots of mysteries happening in the Old Testament. And now they're being revealed to us in the New Testament, namely in Christ. And so he's going to talk about some of them here. And they're amazing. So when we talk about him we proclaim, uh, we're going to make the word of God fully known. The content of that Some of it here is right there in verse 27 and 28. And it's just so good. It's just so good. Look at it. So 26, 27, 28. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery We'll stop here for a second because this is kind of mystery number one being revealed to us. There's, I think there's at least two mysteries being revealed. Mystery number one, you know, the, the people of God in the Old Testament were the Israelites. They were people who were Jewish. They were the people of God and everybody else was not the people of God. You know, the people who were Jewish, that's them. Everybody else, you know, you have a random Gentile every once in a while kind of getting in. But other than that, no, no sir. And as you're coming into the New Testament, all of a sudden, this mystery, when you get to Acts chapter 10 especially, you know, go read Acts chapter 10 this week with Peter and Cornelius and what happens. But when you get to Acts chapter 10, they're like, we can eat bacon, which basically just means, hey, Gentiles, Gentiles can become Christians now. That's really the, the real message. It's not that we can eat bacon. But my point is, um, as you get into the book of Acts, the people who were Jewish in the Old Testament just thought only Jews can be saved. Only Jews are the, are the people of God. No one else can be the people of God besides people who are Jewish, the line of Israel, right? And all of a sudden, they're expanding it out to where we're all in this room. I, don't, I think we're all Gentiles, likely. We all get to be part of the family of God. We're engrafted in. We're, we're adopted into the family. But praise the Lord. That's a mystery that was hidden in the Old Testament. They didn't fully understand. But now as you go into the New Testament where he says, How great among the Gentiles... Gentiles are getting to be a part of the family of God. God isn't just holding it to one group, but now this, is, this gospel is being proclaimed to every single person in the earth and everybody can come to be a part of the family of God specifically through Christ. Mystery revealed. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's why we're here, because that mystery was revealed. Go read Acts chapter 10. It's awesome. There's a little second mystery being revealed too. And this second mystery, I think, is just astounding. This, this second mystery is amazing. So in the Old Testament, the people of God, they have Emmanuel, God with us. We want God with us. We, we have God in the temple with us. And we, we have God here around us all the time. And we just love, because we're the people of God, having God with us. And so, you know, if here I am, God's with me. He's always with me. And I, as the people of God, I rejoice in the fact that God is with us. He's not like the other nations where they don't have God, but we have God with us. 
And that's what it was in the Old Testament. That's the only thing they ever understood. God with us, which is really good. But now, a little controversial, we, maybe not, we have something better than that. It's, I think, infinitely better. It's not God with us like he's standing beside me. Here's mystery two revealed. Look at this. How great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. If I have the option of Christ beside me with me, that's awesome. Or Christ in me, now his power's in me and I can actually live a life that glorifies him. I have the power of the Holy Spirit in me, not beside me kind of saying like, don't do that, don't do that, but literally in me, working through me, helping me understand how to live, how to talk, how to be. Well, that sounds infinitely better. Mystery number two, which is blowing their minds. The Israelites never had the idea that God's literally going to take up residence in me and live within me. This is, this is amazing word. So, mystery revealed. So when we talk about to make the word of God known and proclaim him, we're telling them everybody can be saved. Not just a certain person, not just a certain class, not just a certain anything. Everybody can meet Jesus, trust in him. And you won't just have God with you, you can have Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How? How? It's the old, simple gospel message that you've heard a thousand times. Maybe. You and I are born because we're in the line of Adam as sinners. Adam sinned, we inherited that sin, and we willingly choose sin our entire life. That's all we want is sin. We don't know why, but we do. Maybe you do know why, because we're born in the line of Adam. And so we cannot be reconciled to God because we're sinners and he's not. And so God made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins so that we can be reconciled back to him, which is the best thing in the world to happen to us. There's nothing else better than being reconciled back to your creator and being put in right relationship with him. And so he sent his own son to come. Now, that sin that we are willingly choosing had to be punished. If, if we do something wrong, somebody has to receive it. And so what he did for us on the cross is all the punishment we were supposed to get, God the Father put it on him, and now he took our place. Therefore, his perfection and all his righteousness we get. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. All of the punishment put on Jesus, all of his perfection and righteousness counted to our account. That's why it's so important that when we say Jesus lived a perfect life, He did, because that's what we get. And we don't go back to heaven unless we now have the righteousness or the perfection of Christ. This is the good news. That's why we have Christ in us. And so whenever we stand before God, it's Christ and his righteousness that God sees, counted to us. That's the hope of glory. The hope we have to be in glory is because of Christ. This is just the most amazing news ever. Because here's the thing. When we're willingly choosing sin, you know what God could have done? He could have just said, that's, that's, your, that's your decision. And done nothing. But instead, because he abounds in grace, he did not want that. And so he sent his son to take our place. And if by faith, if you say, I trust that Jesus took my place, I repent of my sin, then the great exchange happens. And you and I are forgiven of our sin forever. It's unbelievable news. It's just, that's why the gospel, it means good news. It's the best news in the world. And so the content of making the word of God known and proclaiming him is proclaiming that simple message. You and I don't have to receive the eternal punishment we deserve. You can be reconciled to God, just like I was. Not because of anything you do, but because of everything he's done for us. There's nothing you have to do. It's all about what he's done. That's why the Colossian heresy is wrong. Christ's death is not just necessary, but it's totally sufficient. You don't have to do other stuff. Once you're in Christ, you are completely forgiven. And so that's the good news gospel that we have here when he says that we are, um, that we are in Christ, the hope of glory. That's the amazing mystery that's now being revealed. And so it says, um, the riches of his glory, Christ in you, the hope of glory, him we proclaim, 
Him we proclaim, and when we proclaim him, you can see that he has these two little things we do. Warning everyone and teaching everyone. What are we warning of them? We're warning that if you stay on this track towards sin, one day you will receive the punishment for that. When you die, if, you don't, if Christ didn't take your punishment, then you get the punishment. That's just the way it happens. When we die, we can either have confessed Christ and he took our punishment, or we get it. And that's eternal death forever. Or... Christ can take it for us if we um, put our faith in him. We trust him. We say, Christ, forgive me of my sin. I repent. All my hope is in you. That can happen for you this morning. We're also teaching. Teaching everyone with all wisdom. Teaching everyone with all wisdom. And the goal of that is, the goal of all of that, the goal of proclaiming the mystery of the word, the goal of proclaiming him, whenever we tell people, is so that, here, here's another way he says it, that if you're in Christ or that day you go to, Christ, go to heaven, he says, so that, look at this, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I, I don't want you to miss something because this is just mind-blowing. It's not so that Jesus can present everyone mature in Jesus. He says, it's just so gracious of him, right? That he, he uses the language of we get to be a part of this massive thing that he's doing. We get to present everyone mature in Christ. How gracious is that? We know ultimately he's done all the work. And yet he lets us, because he's so good, say, the more you suffer and the more you proclaim this unbelievable gospel and people come to know Christ, one day when we're all standing there before him, we get to say, we get to present, perhaps even the people that we led to Christ, mature in Christ and just be like, wow, what is Christ? Look at what Christ has done. So proclaim him. Make the word of God known because you are really an active participant. We are really active participants in the ministry of reconciliation. And I take this to mean that one day all those people Paul led to Christ, he's going to mature in Christ, mature in Christ. And somebody's going to, Jesus is going to lift him up because the Acts 9. You're mature in Christ too, Paul. I mean, it's just amazing language. Amazing language. We're teaching. And so the goal here then when you proclaim some, to someone Christ, the goal is not to just get them saved, but also to disciple them so that they're presented mature in Christ. Not saved in Christ, mature in Christ. And so whenever you see someone come to Christ, stay with them. Walk them through the life. I mean, it's tough, right? Christian life isn't easy. It's tough. I get it. And so you're teaching them. You're admonishing them with all wisdom that we can present them mature in Christ. All of this sounds really difficult, Fudd. Yep. That's why this last verse is here. Because this is maybe one of the best pieces of, of uh, good news ever. Well, I keep saying that because I'm rather extravagant on everything. But here we go. Look at what he says. For this I toil, struggling. All right, so go ahead and put up number five. Suffering. We can only endure and struggle through suffering in his energy and power. For this, Paul's, Paul's definitely saying for this, I toil and is an implied, I struggle. So struggling, this is the Greek word literally, agonizomai. Our English word agonize comes from it. It's derived from that, from that Greek word. And it calls for maximum effort for serving the Lord. Christ expects us to struggle. Christ expects us to toil and struggle. Christ expects it to be difficult. He expects us to struggle, to agonizomai. He expects it. And so since we've stressed that need, don't miss the next part of the verse. Because all of our struggles are actually done not with your energy, but with his. That works so powerfully. He just throws that in there with all his energy. And just so you know, that works so powerfully within you. It's like unbelievable. All of our sufferings are endured with his energy. Paul similarly says something like this in another place where he says, By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I. It was the grace of God in me. It's the same here. I toil and I struggle with all his energy that works so powerfully in me. So when we're beat down... In the ministry of reconciliation. When we're beat down. When life is just hard. When ministry is just hard. When your group 
isn't going like you want it to go. When your family's spiritual life is not going like you want it to go. When you've personally been witnessing to someone and you're, you want them to come to know Christ and they just don't seem to be listening, they just don't seem to be responding, remember, you're not even running really on your energy, you're running on his. That's why you can endure through it. When you feel like you're running out of gas, just remember, oh, I'm trying to do it all on my, my power. Actually, I toil and I struggle with all of his energy and it's endless. It's endless. So he receives the glory for this too. All the fruits of these struggles The glory belongs to Jesus. And if someone comes to Christ through the result of my suffering, when I'm warning, when I'm teaching, Jesus should get all the glory because I'm doing it with all his energy, which works so powerfully within me. Which means we need to make sure we don't try to do it on our own. I can do it on my own and die, or I can do it with his with endless power. Picking the second one. Every time, right? But I don't. But I want to. So let's let's constantly try to stay connected then to Christ. All is done on his power. So in a big picture, when we're looking at suffering, suffering for proclaiming the name of the gospel or proclaiming the name of Christ in the gospel, we don't, we don't want to run away from it. We don't want to think, what is ba- what, what, why is this bad thing happening to me as I tell people about Christ? Instead, we embrace it, we rejoice in it because we know that Christ is using us. So if you are experiencing suffering right now for the sake of Christ and you're asking, is the struggle struggle worth it? Is it worth pouring out my life for the sake of Christ? Is it worth pouring out myself for the sake of others? It's too hard. It's too difficult. And I don't feel like this suffering's worth it. I want you to just listen to this. When that day comes, that day in heaven, Is all the suffering worth it when that day comes? And like Paul, we get to be a part of literally presenting others mature in Christ. And Jesus looks you right in the face and he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's rest. When he says, Enter into the joy of your master on that day, all of the sufferings you've been experiencing, you know pouring out your life will absolutely be worth it. Absolutely. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your love, your mercy. And God, we, we, we confess that sometimes being a part of the ministry of reconciliation can be difficult. And we don't want to uh, run away from it. Because ultimately it's all from you. We know that. So help us remember that. Help us really have joy. Help us Look to that day when people are being presented mature in Christ that you gave us this great opportunity to be a part of, leading them to Christ or talking to them about Jesus, where you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Help us remember that day in the middle of these tough days. Lord, we love you. and We thank you for this amazing gospel, which is no longer just God with us, but Christ in us. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.